Hello there, friends. I'm Richard Kisman. We all knew it was coming. Adulthood, relationships and marriage, business, health, money, bills, fitness. If you're like me, we didn't think that life would come at us like this. I welcome you to join me for raw, authentic, and hopefully really fun conversations about coming into your own as an adult and to help you create a powerful life of your design. This is the Adulthood Revisited Podcast. Hey there, Adulthood Revisited Nation. How's it going? Hope you're doing well. Hopefully you, the people in your life, are keeping well uh, during this extended quarantine time. Um, things are looking up, man. The weather's been great. I don't know about y'all, but it's sunny out here. I was just taking a walk with my dog earlier um, in a t-shirt. It's great. And just happened to get my first Starbucks in a really, really long time. So I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, but all kidding aside, got a great guest for you today. Uh, I've got my friend here. Enrique Noguera, who is a community educator and a self-proclaimed AI enthusiast. Enrique, welcome to the Adulthood Revisited Podcast, my man. Yeah, thanks for having me on here, Rich. Very cool. Um, I've gotten to know Enrique for the past few months um, through actually my girlfriend. Again, very fun guy. Very like, I, I'll say this much about you, Enrique, and I don't know if it's, it's okay to say this. I feel like you wear your heart on your sleeve. Like you're somebody who like, what you see, WYSIWYG, right? What you see is what you get in terms of like the way you care about people. And it, I, like we've had a lot of conversations about work and, and, and you know, the things you've kind of done. But why don't you share a little bit about who you are, what you do, how'd you get there, for, especially for people who might not know what you mean by community educator. Sure, sure. Uh, thanks for the intro, Rich. I appreciate it. So what I, what I mean is, you know, my background is in urban planning. My, I have a bachelor's from Rutgers in urban planning. And despite the fact that I did not go into, you know, community, I didn't go into, um, you know, typical fields associated with planning, I did focus on community development, specifically education, right? And so when I think about the work that I do as the assistant director of EOF at Passaic County Community College, right? And, and that's important work because we help students stay in school. Um, we're very much focused on retention so that students are able to graduate and then enter the workforce um, and be responsible citizens, right? So that's important work. And the way that I approach it is really from a community development with a community development lens. That's the way I kind of look at this work. Uh, it's part of the reason why I work at a community college and why I, I no longer work at the senior institutions, because I feel like it's important um, for students, but then also just for people in general to see that institution as um, a reliable place where people can get the support they need to uplift themselves and their communities. Um, you know, it's great because my wife is a teacher at uh, Passaic, at a school in Passaic, a high school. And so now I'm getting students from her school who are now coming into my program. And then we're able to engage in service projects collaboratively, right? Where they can go back to their high schools and you know, support their brothers and sisters in, in educating them about the importance of going to college, but also in why it's important to not just leave places like Passaic, or Patterson. Um, and I think 
you know, I had a situation recently or not recently, I'd say probably about a year and a half, which made me sort of rethink, uh, sort of like shake my thinking tree when it comes to this work. And I asked my students, um, as they arrived in the summer program, how many of them intend to stay in Passaic after they get their degree? And how many people you think raised their hand, Rich? I had a, I had a room full of like 20. It, honestly, I, this is the thing, it's challenging. I, like me personally, I would say if you, if you were to ask that to when I was in school, I would say maybe one person would raise their hand. And I share that because I, like, I, I grew up in one of the like, categorically and historically tougher neighborhoods in all of New York, East New York. And so the thinking is like, you want to get out of there. Um, but anyway, so I, like how many, when you asked that to your students, what, what happened? You're right. So I asked a room of 20 students and, um, well, really the question was how many of you intend to, to stay return, right? So only one yeah. raised his hand and then I challenged the others. I said, well, why? You know, and of course, no one wants to live in a place where they feel unsafe. And no one should have to live in that type of environment. Um, but I think part of the problem we have is that people just don't know. They don't appreciate their environment, right? They don't appreciate the beauty that exists within the space that they live. Um, but it also is important to educate people about how to affect change in that environment, right? Schools need to do a better job of that. Schools right now are doing a terrible job of educating people about what the mayor does or what freeholders do, you know? And so that seeing those students raise their hands and say, Hey, I'm ready to split as soon as I get my degree and just get mine and, and get my family from a community development standpoint, that's terrible, right? Because that means that the people who are most capable, arguably, right? right most right. capable, right? But potentially people with the most resources are now, taking all of their resources and leaving, right? Leaving behind their neighbors, people who need support and need services. Um, and it creates and perpetuates pockets of poverty. And, and I have a problem with that, right? I, so that's I, really I, what I, that's I, my work, man. That, that's what I to ask you, like, what? Because there was a lot packed into there. Um, I want, the real question that I want to ask you right now is why does that matter to you so much? But before I jump to that, I want to get back to that. I want to jump to what you said. You, you, were, you graduated or you studied urban planning, but then you ended up in a community education and really working students. Why, what, like, what caused that shift? Or, I mean, is it for you? Was it a shift or for, it was just a naturally occurring thing because – like it's to me it's from the outside looking in it sounds like hey like i went to law school and then i ended up doing something else other than practicing law which is okay but i'm just curious like what when you if you left your education with an urban planning degree and then you ended up in like you know really honing in on education right education there's a parallel there but it may not be the most I guess the, mo the, the first most prominent thing you would do with an urban planning degree, like what happened that, that pushed you into more in the education setting? Good question. So my sophomore year of college, I did um, 
I was involved in, I did a research assistantship with the Graduate School of Education. And I had a project, we were working on this project where students were doing, students from three different high schools were doing social action projects. We had students from Edison High School, West Orange High School, and a high school in Camden called Woodrow Wilson High School. And the students from Edison were working on, their social action project was to figure out what to do about the problem of backpacks, right, in the hallway. They had to figure how how we're going to be able to like without money for lockers. What are we going to be able to do to to fix this circulation issue? Let's say in the hallway, right? The kids from West Orange were focused on uh, senior privileges, right? What should our should we be able to? How can we get to go to McDonald's during lunch? And the kids at uh, Woodrow Wilson and Camden were doing a collaborative journal about gang activity and homicide. And I went to talk to each of those groups of students, um, you know, and I basically go, I visited both West Orange and Edison, like probably a week apart. And, you know, you, you go there and it looks like, a, you know, a small liberal arts college, right? The can't like the campus of a small liberal arts college, like wall to wall windows and so on. And then I went to Camden and it looked like a jail, right? So, there were bars on the windows, metal detectors, military and police walking the halls. And, you know, when I went to, the, to visit the kids in Camden, the kids, the students were working on the, this like, a lot of what they were writing about was this interaction, this horrible interaction between law enforcement and, and um, the students right? How this person got shot by that person. And, and like, just looking at those, like, they're like in different, on different planets of existence, just because of the zip code, just because of what school they went to. And then that drove me to learn more about the school to prison pipeline and a lot of that research, right? Where kids in Camden are more likely to be incarcerated and more likely to have issues of drug abuse and so on and so forth. And and, and that's, you know, they're like institutions and systems that kind of perpetuate those problems. Yeah. And I was fascinated by that, you know, so that's part of the reason why I, did, I got my master's in education, you know, after having a, a bachelor's in, in planning. And, and it became a lot clearer how, how the community development piece right. uh, might fit in, in that, you know. Now, because that, that, that actually for me provided a lot of clarity, right, in terms of like, decision-making process. So now I want to jump back to that last question that like really, as you, as you were going through it, like was burning for me, which is why when you have your students right now and their ambition is at least initially, the natural ambition is to escape from where they're from because of whatever it is. Why do you think it's important that, that these kids or these people rather like, have roots and contributions back to where they're from? I think that's important because, you know, when you have these, if not, then you, you're, as I said, you're like perpetuating these divide, this like, you know, this continued drive toward keeping those who have resources with resources and those who don't, you know, having generations of poverty. Right. And um, that's there's a lot of a lot of factors in that. 
you know, but when you have people who are like, no, you know, it, it's not, I'm, I'm going to stay, right? I'm going to stay in this community. Be, then you are able to hold politicians accountable. You know, you're able to um, take ownership of a space. And that ownership is really love, love of the space, right? And then that permeates out into love of each other and love of neighbors and, and being able to exist with, you know, a, a, a really decent quality of living, man. And I feel like every human being should, should at least be able to live free and, and, um, you know, and, and have a decent standard of living. And I, I don't think it's right that you have some people who have tons of money and some who are right now, especially right. Trying to figure out how they're going to be able to feed their family you know, and, and having to go out into the world because of the fact that they need money, <laughs> they they need that check, right? Um, it's, and, and it's being exacerbated by the whole COVID situation, right? And of yeah. course, we have yeah. to practice social distancing, right? Stay alive, valid, but we're seeing the impacts of that now, you know? Um, and, and not everybody's losing in times like this and and community as a concept is being challenged right what does that even mean now people are going to be questioning that even when we're allowed to go back and connect socially people are going to be very reluctant to do that and that becomes very challenging uh, for people who are already struggling to make ends meet you know because they rely on community they rely on share sharing resources um you know, it's one thing if you have a ton of money and you're able to go out and buy everything you need to buy. But if you don't, you got to share. Right. You know, you got to, you know, and so, so that those are some things that I'm very concerned about in, in this at this time. Um, but I'm definitely projecting, you know, my values of like uh, believing that some people, that everybody should be free and everyone should be able to, to lead a decent life. So. Let me ask let me ask you this because you kind of touched on it right now all the like i at least here in new york city right schools shut down for the rest of the the school year and whatnot right and like the education complex at large has to has to think on its feet how to deliver education as a product to students and you see a lot of the inequities come to light like the the thought is oh well just just do virtual classes but then you have the issue of hardware you have the issue of uh, what the family or if there's a family structured home to help this, what do you think? I mean, do you have any thoughts on how, like how things are being delivered? Um, and whether or not that's robbing a generation of like, what, what's the consequence for kids that, you know, were, you know, now have to learn at home and again, especially those, those pockets, not even pockets of that population that doesn't have access to families to help them out, access to constant, like sufficient internet. Um, I mean, you have any thoughts on what's, what the consequence of all that is? Yeah, I, I don't, you know, there's, I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but, um, you know, fortunately, like in my situation, right? Both my wife and I, we're, we're blessed, right, to be working and being, you know, be able to actually work remotely, 
right? And we're both in education. She's a teacher and I'm a college administrator, you know, but we still deal with the challenge of, you know, having a four-year-old running around the house and I want to just be able to say, okay, I'm not going to be able to work today. I'm just going to focus on making sure that she is getting absolutely everything she can to progress intellectually. Right. Um, and so I've had to make, um, you know, make adjustments to my schedule so that I'm able to wake up extra early and do reading time with her because she's just at that point where she's about to learn how to read. Right. And then, you know, make sure to make time at the end of the day and to clock out at four 30. Right. So that I can, you know, do arts and crafts with her and go outside and pick little daisies and those kinds of things right. so that we can interact. Right. And the other side of it too, is I'm fortunate that my wife is able to then do the same, right. When I'm not available. Um, I think it's even more difficult though, when parents are relying on the iPad to keep their kid like educated, you know, where, where the, the children young and old, are either on the computer all day long, right? Supposedly either doing asynchronous or synchronous learning, right? So synchronous being that they have to show up to class, at, you know, via Zoom or one of these tools at a certain time or asynchronous where it's just about getting credits, right? Turning in assignments, but not needing to, needing to check in, right? So that they get the credits and that it, it's necessary and I get why that's being done. You know, and then you have other districts that are just providing kids with packets, right? Where they don't have the resources to provide every student with a laptop. And then those districts that can, they don't have internet, some kids, right? So they can't even use the laptop, right? Uh, in the way that the school wants them to use it. So as I said, I mean, it, it definitely is a, a growing divide between those who have the resources to focus and, and homeschool their kids, if you will, right now. And those who don't, you know, and many parents, you know, especially if they're single, they're just out, they have to go to work. What is the kid doing at home? You know, the older brother who's supposed to be filling, completing assignments is now watching the younger siblings, right? So everybody is, I mean, the younger siblings appreciate the older brother and they're building strong connections with family, hopefully, right? And this is with the assumption that everything's okay at home, you know? So we're not even talking about like domestic violence issues and, and drug abuse and uh, issues of mental health, right? Not being really addressed well. Um, so, you know, assuming that everything's all good in the house, there's still consequences to this in terms of like the educational advancement of students. And so we're going to have to, as a society um, and as educators, maybe lead the charge when it comes to how we're taking ownership of this time. So I'll give you a perfect example right? Small scale. My dad, um, my father has been, you know, was an entrepreneur and is currently living in LA, right? And so he has enough resources to be able to sustain himself so he doesn't have to work, which is he's very fortunate. So he's taken it upon himself to basically do like school for like an hour and a half every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday for all of his grandchildren and nieces and nephews, right? Who are between the ages of 14 and three. <laughs> so he's created his own curriculum, right? And we all tune in from Zoom, right? Now it's important that at least one of us between myself and my wife are available to show up, 
to like make sure that my four-year-old is like focused on the assignment. But how cool is it? She's able to see her cousin in North Carolina, her cousins in Trinidad, you know, her cousin in England, and they're all working together on different assignments, learning about like Malala Yousafzai and Nelson Mandela and climate change and these kinds of things, right? But it takes that like proactive step yeah. to leverage this opportunity, right? So that the, the kids can be propelled in the direction they, they need to um, when it comes to like their own intellectual development and, and uh, evolution, if you will, you know? And not everybody has that type of access. Right. But we, we have to think creatively, right, as educators in order to be able to improve conditions. Um, you know, it'd be one thing, and I, you know, I, I appreciate you mentioning the whole AI enthusiast piece in the beginning because I've been fascinated by the, the you know, the impact of artificial intelligence in, in terms of, you know, everyday life and what it's going to mean for people's professions, right? And we're getting a kind of a taste of it now in terms of the impact of, of what it will mean to just potentially one day have like hopefully some kind of universal income for people who are not able to work, right? Kind of like that stimulus check that most of us got, right? But, you know, it's also, and it's one thing if like we had virtual reality and so I could work remotely or kids could be, you know, working remotely from home, but be able to throw on those VR goggles to do science experiments. How are you doing science experiments from home right now, right? It's not being done. Right? Or it's being watered down. Um, so we have to figure creative ways of being able to address these issues and then catching students up once this is all over. Do you have a message for other educators? Like if there's obviously, and I, I'm assuming obviously, but every, every teacher out there, doesn't matter like grade school, middle school, high school, college, right? When you're like, to every educator who's kind of been displaced from the normalcy of their, of how they teach. Do you think that there's, there's something that they should keep top of mind when they're trying to do the best that they can? Like is, again, it's a weird question, but, and this is a value-based question, but like, what do you, right now with everything in disarray, what would you recommend to like fellow educators? Don't forget this when you're like trying to keep these Google hangout or Google meet sessions in order, or when you've got a third of your classroom not showing up because there's no one to help, like no internet access or something like that. How do you, what encouragement or like maybe something to keep top of mind that you have if, if you've thought about it for other educators? Sure. Good question. Yeah, one thing for sure is that our students need us. You know, they 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 need us to keep reaching out and to to um, to call home and inform parents about what's going on. Give the parents some strategies, right? And really connect with parents. And, and I know it's a lot of work. I mean, my wife spends hours on the phone at least three nights a week talking to parents of students yeah. who haven't shown up to class, you know, or who are not turning in assignments, you know? Um, and as much as it is more work to do that, it's important work, you know, because the students really need that, that 
additional support. And, you know, this is a great time. Hopefully, if, you, if you're able to leverage the support services of some of these community organizations to get connected with them and to think outside of the box and to continue learning um, about how to effectively use tools like Zoom or the tools that your district is allowing you to, to use to actually make it fun for the students. And it's not easy. I understand that many of these schools were not prepared for this sort of flip, right? To flip right. that switch. But there's so many different tools available that are user-friendly, but you gotta give them the time, you know? And great teachers can be great teachers whether they're teaching class virtually or whether they're teaching class in person. You know, so as long as we're committed to the cause and thinking about this like a cause, because really the future, if we don't handle this properly, and that's part of the, just to go back to the community development piece, like education in this country is compulsory, right? You have to go to school. So that means by all of these students being in this situation, if we don't appropriately respond or support them through this process, what is the next generation going to look like? What's the future of the country going to look like? The future of the world going to look like? And, and I mean, that's kind of abstract still, but, but it's still something that is important to kind of keep in the front of their minds. And, you know, to reduce burnout, be well, right? We need to be modeling the stuff that we're telling kids to do, telling students to do, right, about wellness. And at the college, you know, we have this Men of Color Success Initiative and I also represent the, the EOF program. And so I meet with the students on Zoom and we just talk. And we talk a lot about mental health, especially those for those who are alone at home. But, you know, it's one thing to just say it, but it's another thing to be modeling it, to be actively, you know, keeping up with your push-up regimen and eating healthy and creating videos to inspire the students to do that, right? right. To motivate mm -hmm. them, but also to provide them with skills virtually if you can, right? To share that and leverage these relationships that we've developed with the students to now maintain communication, but also to help them bridge the gap in terms of their skills, you know? And it's not an easy task. It's a very heavy lift, but it's important work, you know? So that's what I'd say. Let me ask, I mean, you, you, you have a young daughter, right? And you and your wife in education, like, and with this disruption in like traditional academia, do you have any, and this is off the cuff, I'm just curious about this. Like, have you had any visions or, or plans to create some, create something and maybe now it's like a time I, like what where's i guess the, the real question i'm trying to ask is like where do you see yourself moving moving on from here right um because there's a again a little disruption in in academics and like there's room for people to create room for people to like develop new frameworks new ways of new like new ideas of what education can and can't be like, have you, have you given spent any time thinking about that and given it any thought about maybe where you see your life and your career going? Um, especially now that we're, we have maybe somewhat of an opportunity to really think about it. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I had been admitted to this program at Vanderbilt 
because um, uh, I'm getting a do- I want to get a doctorate, right? I got to take turns because my wife is finishing up a master's. So now that she's done, I'm like, I had to defer. So I got into the program and it's an EDD, so a doctorate in education. And, you know, I started thinking about it once I had gotten in. And I was like, you know, this is not really going to help broaden my skill set or widen my skill set. I need to look into something that's going to help me bridge that gap between my interest in advanced technology and education. Right. And community development. <laughs> right. So what I decided to do was actually, you know, write a letter saying, you know, I, unfortunately, I regret to inform you, I'm not coming to Vanderbilt anymore. And, and then I ended up applying to, um, uh, you know, to NJCU. NJCU is, is one of the, is um, the program at NJCU is an ed tech. It's also an EDD, but it's an ed tech program. And, you know, in addition to the faculty, that the content is what I really have been looking for, right? That's the program for me. And it was online from the beginning. Um, so I just got admitted to that program and I'm supposed to start in July. The reason why I bring that up is because I think that is where, in terms of education, and, and this is the thing, education is like light years behind like for the most part, public education is light years behind when it comes to technology, the use of technology, right? Um, the, you know, you can't really compare what a, a local school is doing, obviously, to what Google is doing. And I mean, those are like stark examples, like uh, contrast. But, but here's the thing. We're so far behind that guys like me without too much experience in on the technical end can still be pretty effective because I know how to apply technology, right? I may not be the one doing the programming, but I do know how to what I would use it for. And I think in this situation, it's very clear now because I've been talking about the importance of uh, thinking proactively about how we enhance educational virtual learning, but now people are starting to get it. Why we need to really focus on this so that we're not just watering down the education system and, and you know, basically relying on uh, robots or what have you to teach classes. You need teachers. We need teachers. We're yeah. going to continue to need yeah. teachers. But in order to make that point clear, I see my purpose as helping to, uh, through that doctorate in education, to be able to do professional development down the line, just as in the short run, right? To go to schools to be able to say, here's how we're going to use X tool to be able to really engage students. Right, not just lecture and put a PowerPoint on. Right, I want us to be able to use and and take complete control of this, right, and leverage all of the other elements, like my father is. Right, that great example. My father, you know, talk, engaging his nieces and nephews and you know and, and grandkids all around the world. How do we connect like that? How can I? Use this as an opportunity to bring communities from all over the world together in my classroom, right? Obviously within reason and what's, whatever's allowed by the district and so on and so forth. But like there's so, the possibilities are endless. And I don't want us to lose focus, uh, uh, you know, and just get caught up on, on um, you know, the challenges. There's so many opportunities to be able to leverage this as, you know, in the way that we need to. You know, and, and of course, as I mentioned before, you know, the, 
the whole role of virtual reality as that begins to and continues to progress, I'm really interested to see what that's going to look like in terms of remote learning. You know, um, so those are some of the, the areas that I'm going to explore. And I'd love to be an expert in that field. Right. And even though I don't have a coding background and so on and so forth, I feel like I at least know the field well enough to be able to apply those skills in a meaningful way yeah. and to help bring others along for the ride. You know, dude, this, this has been very insightful, man. I like conversations like this, get you thinking, especially when like there's so much uncertainty and like the conversations I have with people now, it's, it, like the certainty, uncertainty about oneself, but like you said, uncertainty about like community and what that means. Like it's frustrating now. And, and I wonder if it'll ever, if I hope it does return, but like when people are not afraid to hug and like walk down the street and give a, a handshake, like what, what will be of community? And so speaking of the future, and as we start to maybe wrap this up, like what message do you have for I mean, I don't know if you, if you have a different message for like people in your life, in your community, but also particularly to students, whether they're your students or like students generally. Um, I mean, you, you, you sort of touched on what you think teachers may want to keep in mind as they're doing their necessary, their job, um, educating, educating students, but maybe to any, anyone out there who listens to this, to, understand like the the magnitude of it right um so i don't i don't know if you have any any closing remarks for people generally in your community in life or again also particularly maybe your students or so yeah i do um i I definitely do And, and this is something that i'm very excited about in terms of the work that lies ahead for my program right through the educational opportunity fund program right because of the nature of our program we provide wraparound support services and we really control what their summer experience is looking like i really try to do two things simultaneously it's like bringing those two worlds together the tech piece and the civic engagement piece right so one i want to educate them in fun and creative ways about the use of, of about civic engagement so it's not super boring because I think it's important for them to be able to, to learn. And really the message is it's important to learn and embrace and understand who the players are in society, right? Who you go to when you want to fix your sidewalk, right? It's important to know the Open Public Records Act and to educate ourselves about those things and to not lose sight of that, whether you have a doctorate or not. You gotta know what the mayor does. You gotta know where to go when you don't know answers to important questions that you need to know in order to affect change in your environment. Otherwise you're powerless in the grand scheme of things. But it's also important to know, now more than ever, I think this is a, this is a, a salient point. It's important to know regardless of what field you're going into, the impact of technology, right? What is the role, what is going to be the impact of advanced tech on social work, right? We already see what's happening when when it comes to, you know, um, truck driving, right? And those kinds of jobs in terms of automation and so on. But it's just going to continue 
And so if we're not clear, we are just sort of preparing for, for a job or a career or a profession or something, even if we have passion for it, that may not even be there. Right? So we've got to start thinking now about how can we leverage our understanding of what's happening when it comes to tech to be winners, right? To support those who need to be supported, to, to protect our families and protect the community. Right. And that means, and this is the message to the, to the, the politicians and to the legislators, we've got to create policies that protect the people as AI develops. Right. This is Elon Musk's, you know, Elon Musk talks, talk, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Elon Musk. I think he's like a modern day Iron Man. Everybody calls him Iron Man. The man is Iron Man. Right. But his one of his biggest messages is AI is something to be wary of right that we not necessarily be wary of but we need to be prepared for and the policies are just not in place to protect people right and otherwise what ends up happening is that those you know researchers in the lab are just seeing how far they can go and not really understanding what the impact is going to be on a larger scale you know as we creep toward general intelligence right and and so i think it's important for you know fellow residents, fellow citizens, and, you know, people all over the world to understand the impact of technology, and at least to learn about it, you know, in the context of, you know, if not their own personal lives, just, you know, their professions, for sure, you know, so that, that's, uh, those are two important messages. Don't forget, learn about how to affect change, <laughs> and then also learn about the impact of technology on your field. Yeah. I mean, those, those words absolutely ring true. I mean, it's like right now it it is an experience that like with nobody thinks about it until they have to, and that's when it's likely too late. Right. So if the encouragement is like, you got to think ahead and like really map out what the future, you, you can't like hide from the future essentially. Right. And so like this is where it's going like really embrace and and like i agree with you i think that pe- more and more people i think about that quite often with you know legal work it's just not not the work itself but like the way it's administered it's like so archaic and and like you can't live in the past like the, the future is trending in, in a certain direction you got to be open to like to that and think about how to let like Leveraging technology is not just about convenience, but about being more efficient and increasing access. And so you're right. I think those are issues that, um, you know, are being exposed now and, and hopefully yeah, more people like take that to heart. Enrique, my friend, thank you so very much. This was an absolute great conversation, like very insightful, very thought provoking, um, you know, about things that it, it's actually, I think a con- kind of conversation that maybe a lot of people don't want to have don't want don't want to want to have because you know really ask you to question what you think about things like community and and like your like values of others um especially in times of need um i'll i'll say you know i'll share your contact or you know however people can contact you yeah please in the show notes or so but as we wrap up uh any last words yeah if people do want to get in contact with me i have uh they can reach me i have i have um a site it's called enriquespeaks.com right that that's where you can see some of the some of my own like community work but then also some talks i've done the other side of it too is 
they can just send me an email, right? And so I can share that with you in the notes or something like that. I'd love to hear from folks to continue the conversation, man. You know, it'd be great. And I had a great time. So thank you so much. I appreciate the, the invite, Rich. Yes, sir. And I appreciate you. So with that, Enrique Noguera, thank you very much. Adulthood Revisited Nation, thank you very much. Until next time, take care, be well, and bye for now.